You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. So, sure, we're good. All right. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast, a live dual recording after the vintage rotisserie draft that the lovely Halt I Am Reptar flew in for this weekend. It was awesome. Yeah. You can check out the Twitch stream at St. Lotus on Twitch. Great format. Yeah. Anyways, what we're bringing to you today is basically a recap of SCGCon. Uh, we've already done a recap of TCGCon, which is kind of a different event. Yes. And we just wanted to get into what the SCGCon style was like now that we're Kind of in the flow of things, this was the second one mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago at Indy, so what that was like, basically. Yeah, so we're just coming back with the Star City Tour. Star City is looking to integrate additional games into their ecosystem. Uh, they tried it before, not just with Key Forge, which never really took off as a tournament-style game, but there was another WotC game that I can't remember. Uh, Kaijudo. Kaijudo. Yeah. Uh, they tried it with that. Again, they sold singles, but it never really took off as a tournament format. But now we have Flesh and Blood at these events. Mm -hmm. So... Knowing that this was a team event, right? Yep. It was Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy. Yeah. Uh, you you stocked the booth a specific way? So we stocked... The, the thing we did was our backstock. We stocked specifically. Okay. So we... Our approach uh, with the company I was with was basically broad strokes. What are the staples that are going to sell? They're cross-format all-stars. Obviously, you can't have fetches in Pioneer, but you can sure have them in Modern. Yes. You can sure have them in Legacy. Uh, and we actually brought some, a decent amount of neon stuff, like Wandering Emperor, March of Otherworldly Light, stuff like that, Hidetsugu Consumes All, mm -hmm. that we kind of thought might start seeing more play in Pioneer, but we really didn't have a whole lot of data on. Like, we had a couple weeks, sure, but that doesn't mean the metagame's going to stay there. Mm -hmm. uh, so if anything, it was kind of like the Pioneer was geared more towards the new cards okay. that were kind of emerging in these archetypes that have existed in the format for a while. Okay. Um, that was the main thing. And then our backstock, of course, was like, well, we want to make sure we bring, like, your paths, your, you know, serum vision, stuff like that. Sure, your, sure, sure. your dollar cards on TCG that you can charge four or five for to booth. And yeah, we've been talking a lot points. about the idea of binders of booths, and those are cards that flow very well exactly. into binders because they're going to be multi-format staples, including commander. Mm -hmm. And there was a command zone. Yeah. Well, yeah. so there wasn't a Kinda. command zone, but there were a ton of commander events. Okay. Yeah, so they, they did a lot of on-demand, and, you know, we we had a tally that we kept, and coming in, there were, you know, two of the guys at the booth were like, are we keeping a tally this week? And I'm like, a tally of what? And they said, meltdown. And it was oh, how okay. many times we got asked, do you have meltdown? Because it kills treasure tokens. Yes, yeah. Important because people aren't having conversations about dockside extortionists legality in their EDH games. No, yeah, it's a, well. We also got, we just found out, uh, I believe, either late last night after we got back from VRD yeah. and PTFO, or earlier this morning when we were still asleep because of VRD PTFO. Yeah, that dockside extortionists will be in Commander Legends too, so yeah. it becomes a little more fair and balanced because now everybody can have a dock. Yeah, when everybody's super, nobody's super, basically. Yeah. Um, Meltdown is, is it double X or single X in red? Single X. Single X in red. And yeah. then the, the X is the mana value. So you, it's yeah. kind of like pernicious deed yeah. for artifacts. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting to note. Now, because SEG Con now has flesh and blood events, mm -hmm. 
of various sizes, I think, depending on the events. Um, yeah. Because there may or may not be an upcoming PT. There may or may not be floating invites available. Yeah. So we'll see. Like, I think this weekend was the equivalent. SEGCon was, did have the equivalent of a PTQ. Yeah, they call it a calling. Yes. Yeah. Um, that the, the question I have here now is knowing that we are hosting fab events at SEGCon, how did the booth handle that in terms of stock? So we carried Flesh and Blood Sealed. Um, kind of still of the mind that like this game's still new enough and there have been enough new enough games that have come and gone over the years okay. that we didn't want to commit fully. There were also four dedicated Flesh and Blood vendors. Oh, so okay. with the dedicated Flesh and Blood people, what we did was we actually approached them on like Friday morning while they were setting up like, hey, we're literally on the other side of the curtain from you. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to take a look at what you have so we can send people your way. Kind of try to establish that vendor relationship yeah, with yeah. them because it's not like... You know, you go to a GP, it's the same people. You have that vendor relationship with them. You know what's going on. And we wanted to be able to have that relationship with the flesh and blood people. Okay. Um, so we had the sealed uh, that we were aggressively priced on. And there were legitimately some people that came in and, like, just straight up bought mm -hmm. first edition boxes that we had. Because they're like, you know, this is what we deal with. We yes. want it. Yeah, yeah. We'll pay this price on it because you're still, you know, $30, $40, $50 below TCG love. So we can still make a little bit of money on it if, worst case, we move it on to TCG. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the interesting thing about SCG cons as opposed to Channel Fireball events is Channel Fireball was like, you can't do Standard, you can't do any other game than Magic. Star City does not care. So oh, okay. we were buying and selling Yu-Gi-Oh! We were buying and selling Pokemon. Mm -hmm. We were buying and selling Magic. There was a booth that was buying and selling Digimon. Yeah, because that's up and coming still, right? Yeah, that's one yeah. of the new hot games along with Flesh and Blood. So it was really interesting to see this kind of unique almost anime con economy mm -hmm. happen around a tournament centric event so you know you had people that literally there was a booth that had sealed watsy pokemon along with psa watsy pokemon slaps that were just in yeah. their case that was a magic vendor i think the question i have here is not just does this continue but indie is a gaming city it has become a mecca yeah and Traveling to Indy for any event like this has become an event for people. It's kind yeah. of like an Alt Vegas or yeah. um, some for some people the Vegas. Yeah, uh, if they can't get if there's no Magic Fest or Grand Prix there that year. So I'm kind of curious if uh, Dallas. Yeah, and then In two weeks and yeah, then Louisville or TCG Con is Louisville this weekend. The week after is SCG Dallas, and yes. then I think there's either SCG Pitt or Philly. Two okay. weeks after that. Yeah, so I'm yeah. curious to know if, like, the, the slab stuff in particular and, like, the old Watsi era Pokemon yeah. Sealed kind of carries through into those uh, locations. I know um, Philly Pitt is still close enough to New York City where you could get people coming in from there who just haven't been out to an event in a couple of years. And we talked about this much earlier in the in uh, the history of the cast. You know, people have this, you know, this bottled energy, this pent-up energy. They yeah. go out to these events and they haven't been able to buy or sell for a while, so they just, like, truck it in. Yeah. There's a change in time. Um, when it came to the the Fab Sealed, you said you did uh, first edition. The, um, is that just for the new set that came out? So it was the last two sets was what we had first edition. Okay. We had like Welcome to Wrath Unlimited and stuff like that that you know is frankly a shelf turd. Uh, the interesting thing about Fab, and this was something that I was kind of curious to see if it would happen, was we brought some of the intro decks, like the starter mm -hmm. learner decks. Yeah. Um, and we actually had a lot of Magic players. So the thing this weekend, there was no event coverage for Magic, but there was a stream for Flesh and Blood. Yes. 
So there were a lot of Magic players that in between rounds would group around the feature match. They would watch the stream and check it out. Yep. So they were actually going to booths, and you know the Flesh and Blood vendors also had them, uh, basically asking, like, hey, do you have any of the starter decks for this? I kind of want to learn this game. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple cases where people traded in cards for decks or boxes that were that cross-pollination of Magic into Flesh and Blood. Again, very similar to what you'd see at, like, an anime show. Where it's like, hey, you know, I want to check out this Digimon game because I grew up playing it. Yeah. Let me trade in some fetches or stuff just to get a starter deck and see where I go. And it was very interesting to see that happen. And unfortunately, there was not a whole lot of crossover from Flesh and Blood players going to Magic. Okay. Uh, I don't think we had a single person, you know, obviously not taking Flesh and Blood. And also, I don't think any of the Flesh and Blood vendors had Magic except for one. And they only had banned cards. So, like, the invokes, Got the, it. Yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah. that Watsi just outright banned from everything. Yep, yeah. Um, so, I'm not sure if that's a vendor thing, or if that's something that just through the player economy, mm-hmm. people have recognized this is not, econ- like, this is not an economically responsible for decision for us to make as a vendor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Star City is actually a name in the industry, not just from a vendor perspective, but, you know, as a TO for yeah. uh, the last six or so years, so... You know, you know, people are going to come out to those events to play those events. The mains and the sides are going to be well populated. Yeah. Compared to TCG Con, mm-hmm. how did the flow and the the feeling of the event seem to you? This seemed a lot more like a classic GP. You had a captive audience that was there for the whole weekend. Uh, it didn't feel like TCG Con felt like a lot of anime cons that aren't Gen Con, mm-hmm. uh, where you have people that come through. But they may only be there for a day in the vendor hall, mm-hmm. you know, because at an anime convention, you're there for the panels, you're there for the cosplay contest, you're there for the concerts, mm-hmm. you're there for a bunch of stuff yeah. that isn't the vendor hall. Uh, so when you go to those, you see people once, and that's it. You're not going to see them come back and ask for the 20th time, do you have fry in stock? No, you asked me that three times today already, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, TCG Con does feel a lot more like a vendor hall at a more traditional anime event. And the SCG Cons, despite having that event overlap, mm-hmm. that game, like, cross-pollination, really did feel more like a traditional Grand Prix or Magic Fest, where it was like, all right, I'm going to see, you know, there's the same four or five grinders that are at every Midwest event. Mm-hmm. There's the same 10 to 15 binder grinders that are at every event. The one thing I did see that was interesting, there was floor training going on. Because Channel Fireball essentially blocked it, but SCG doesn't really care. No. Never really cared that much. Yeah. No. As as long as their their thing is basically be unobtrusive. Yeah. You know, don't take up a bunch of play space. Don't take up two eight-foot tables with a bunch of binders. Just, like, sit down with the person across from mm-hmm. you, make a deal, and go from there. Yeah, and don't exchange cash. Yeah, don't yeah. exchange cash. Yeah, use Hot Dog Pal. Yep. Um, don't say PayPal. We, we like hot dogs. That's fair. And they're about a dollar, so I can give you 200 hot dog pal instead of 200 cash. Okay. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. So it, it so we basically are coming back to a time where magic events and flush and bug events do kind of feel like we're, uh, kind of feel like they used to, and TCG Con seems to actually almost feel or sound like the TCG player style events where people are there for their one big event and there just happen to be vendors yeah. in the room. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what it is, and especially with the breadth of vendors that appear at TCG Con because mm-hmm. you have your sports card people, you have your, you know, Etsy stores that make playmats or just yep. random gaming accessories that, you know, populate the area and they sell stuff. 
So it does feel like one of those more diverse, you know, almost Dragon Con style vendor halls. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, obviously at an SCG Con, you're there for the cards. Yeah. Uh, there was an apparel company there, but I mean, Legion was at most of the GPs. As, I'd assume it's Coalesce. Yeah, it was Coalesce, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's all like magic-themed clothing and stuff, but it's not specifically cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, TCG Cons feel a lot more like a local event. Okay. Which is... Interesting, because most anime, obviously, is a destination event. Yes, yeah. And your SCG con felt like a destination event. And granted, that could be because, like you said, it's an indie. And indie, courtesy of Gen Con for the last X amount of years, is just a random, like, it's four hours from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where you are, it's four hours to get there. You can drive and hang out for a few days, and it's great. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, it does seem like this is not kind of a parasitic... Uh, event ecosystem, especially because we're looking at alternating weekends now. They seem yeah. to be kind of threading through. And while TCG Con is a little secretive about their locations in regards to where they're going, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of competition necessarily in region. It wasn't like the beginning of uh, the SCG Tour Circuit and the Grand Prix Circuit where they might wind up in the same in the place. the same city at the same, same time. time. Yeah. yeah. Before Watson was like, how about you don't? And so I said, you said, yeah, that's cool. Okay, sure. We'll we'll stick over here. You yeah. guys handle the rest. Yeah. yeah. So if we start seeing, I assume we, we don't see overlap unless it just is unfortunate because yeah. TCG Con only announces the next so many months two to worth three. Of yeah. yeah. Or and Star City is like, all right, we've got two under. Here's the next couple of few more next, months. Yeah, out. yeah, like the next six months out. Yeah. And as long as that maintains, that seems fine for the player base, the vendor base, the ecosystem that you're looking at. The, the one interesting thing the, for me about TCG Con is that you seem to get a lot more diverse customer base there. Significantly. Because you not only do you have the TCGs, you also have a lot of people coming in for sports cards. Yep. And the various paraphernalia that live on the peripheral of a lot of games. So yeah. I think it's, I've heard of like recent some statues and stuff like that. We talked about that at TCG yeah. Con. We've seen uh, some other vendors pull in like that. Um, I know at the TCG Con this weekend, Troll and Toad has two booths next to each other. One is actual Troll and Toad. The other one is their sports card store. So they're yeah. operating them those two different verticals in two different locations, essentially. And it seems like TCG Con, like you said, is starting to feel more like that potpourri kind of show, like an anime yeah. con. We're going to be able to go there. Yeah. For your You'll day find pass. something, you know, yeah. and the day passes are affordable. Yep. Uh, and you can just go there if you can drive it you're probably not going out for the weekend unless you're a vendor yep and then obviously you're going to go for the weekend but it is it's that potpourri like in and out turnstile customer that you know the areas that tcg cons has chosen typically has been like all right we haven't had events for a while yeah so let's try to see what's out there see you know obviously convention centers are more affordable than they were three years ago Mm -hmm. when they were occupied every single weekend because we're just kind of getting back into the swing of those events happening. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the interesting thing, too. And what I'm actually curious about is how the NRG circuit now is starting to expand in the Midwest. Yeah. So seeing how the NRG circuit adapts, see if it goes after more of a TCG con model or an SCG con, or if it kind of just goes in between the two and tries to be a little bit more casual. About yeah, it. that one's the more interesting of the bunch to me because they've had a very decent digital presence for a while yep. where they've been running as much as they can digitally and yep. now they want to get back into physical events but if that doesn't work out for whatever reason any reason they can fall back on digital and still maintain uh, a tournament series and presence and they uh, i think for some amount of time had coverage as well yeah they they did have coverage and i 
it's not something that they just straight up axed like wizards did. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, Maria Hagen, sorry, out yeah. the road, you're done. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be interesting to see because especially, and this is something that you know people in the Midwest have lamented for a long time, is Star City hasn't come out here for years. Mm-hmm. We haven't had GPs out here for years outside of Indy or you know Memphis, one of those once a year. So having like this tournament circuit that's centric on the Midwest, uh, I think could be a really good opportunity for NRG because not only do they accommodate a player base that can include Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, mm-hmm. Digimon, Flesh and Blood, Dragon uh, Ball Super, Dragon yeah. Ball Super, all this kind of stuff. And funny you mentioned that. That's actually TCGCon. Uh, I have heard more people talk about Dragon Ball Super and Digimon events there than any other Digimon or Super event or any other non-those events. So that's kind of becoming this like competitive scene for those mm-hmm. because they're really high EV tournaments. Yeah. So I'm curious to see if after Star City does Flesh and Blood, if that actually sees some success. If you see NRG start to say, well, what about Digimon? Mm-hmm. What we'll about Dragon Ball Super? Can we kind of get this circuit going because we have the expertise, we have the people, mm-hmm. we have the resources to kind of get this circuit going? Yeah. And we like there's the opportunity then for all those organizations like Watsi attempted to do previously, where you roll in those tournament series into your own, so people can qualify for your pro circuit through alternate routes via uh, Star City, via NRG, via whomever wants to hold events. Char- yeah. A channel can go back to hosting the West Coast because nobody wants Salt Lake City or Phoenix. Yeah. The 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 last question I have is based on uh, attendance in the room across the weekend with the the, the multiple large events for. Yeah. For multiple games on Saturday and Sunday, did the room just stay flush with people? The room was pretty flush with people, obviously, except Sunday because that's just Sunday. the winners and yeah. then like, people who want to grind, like legacy sides or whatever. Cause... Yeah, well, and especially Midwest, Midwest are driving events. Everyone leaves Sunday, goes home. Okay, yeah. So like three, four o'clock, that hall was empty. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, "All right, we're we're out." Peace like they, they were doing finals on the event, and that was basically it. Yeah, it, it's not the, uh, the 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 valley, not the Valley Fortune. Maybe it's a Valley Forge Casino, the one in King of Prussia, where it's just like you have stuff to do afterwards because you're in a casino. So yeah, you're in exactly. Indy in the convention center. Yeah. And like, Indy is a city. It is open. But there's more to do outside the convention hall than there is mm-hmm. inside. Okay. And especially the, the interesting thing was me, to me was seeing these sides. So they had Vendor Row down the middle. Mm-hmm. One side was Magic. One side was Flesh and Blood. Yep. So it was completely segregated. And Flesh and Blood vendors were on the Flesh and Blood side, Magic on the Magic side. And seeing that... The flesh and blood players stayed significantly longer in that hall than the magic players did. Hmm. That weren't main event players. Like oh, there, there okay. were literally just people hanging out, just mashing games, like yeah. playing, testing, whatever for flesh and blood. Which I haven't seen at a GP like a concentration of that in years. I, I it's literally playing the constructed four matches back and forth one on one. I remember that uh, at GPTs when yeah. people when those were more regional yeah. events and you would grind like fourteen hours for a singular buy. Yeah. At a GP. Like, yeah. That's the last time I saw people just jamming the format because they would get there early or it would be teams in between rounds as they prep for the actual meta. After yeah. you get through, what yeah. is it, like the first how three rounds, four rounds of a Grand Prix are the hardest because it's just... Whatever. Yeah. That's your locals that are on just some random Here, smattering of... Exactly. I, I remember at a Legacy Grand Prix, uh, the last one in Seattle, uh, round th- round two, I'm playing someone who's playing stacks 
legacy stacks yeah in 2018 and i'm like what do i do in this matchup yeah my first legacy grand prix in a long time in indy i was playing dredge and round three was against mono white affinity with stoneforge yeah it's like cool you can go get your cranial painting because it makes sense but like what (laughs) dredge you out yeah this is this is like this is the event that Maverick becomes a deck. Oh, okay, yeah. It's that yeah. plane chase like twenty twelve year. Yeah. Like yeah. Legacy is still in flux. Esper Stoneblade is still being figured out. We don't have de- the DRS yet. It won't be until yeah. that fall. But somebody was playing a deck which didn't like and that was a weird it was like again one of the hardest matchups because I didn't need nature's claims at that point in time. So the goal was all right, I can try and push the pedal through the floorboard. Yeah. And like and can that's we that's basically it. Yeah, all go gas, fa- no brakes. Exactly. Yeah. Go faster. But it, it's good to know that the hall stays full. I think that's one of the problems that we talked about this last night, like with the theory of when to leave the hall as a vendor. It's just like eventually there becomes like this negative return on investment for yeah. staying there. You're gonna be grinding more you're you're gonna be grinding harder for less money, which means you're putting more stress on your employees. So you're not going to be able to leave as early as you want to. You're not going to be able to get a decent dinner. You're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to be terrible the next morning. Yeah. But if you're sta- if there are more players in the room, that raises the EV on everything because people aren't just sitting there grinding or standing yeah. around doing nothing and just being bored out of their minds. There's still something to do, and you can continue to, to prep a little bit and maybe do some continued work. And uh, a full haul is great for both players and vendors. It's also yeah. a really good look as photos come out for social too. Yeah. So it's good to know that like stocking that room with both of these really important games right now keeps everybody on prem. Yeah, and it was it was interesting too that the last vendors out were the flesh and blood vendors. I mean you, mm-hmm. you had ninety five TOA, you know, the big guys that usually stay late, they were packed up and gone. Mm-hmm. Flesh and blood vendors were still there doing deals. Yeah. It, and it, it was because their player base was there. Yeah, also that kind of makes sense to me too. It's like the the format there is team constructed, pioneer, modern, legacy. You don't need to do a lot of shopping unless no. you scrub day one, and then you're just like f this, take my deck, you know. Yeah. And then prepping for sides, which as far as I knew on Sunday included legacy. Yeah. And so again, people probably did their work on Friday or Saturday, getting the rest of their cards, yeah. learning their deck, and so they're not going to come in Sunday and just be like, give me, give me, give me. You know, yeah. you don't have a lot of those people. For legacy decks, looking for like some random, like I need Kappa Cannoneer. Yeah, you and everybody else in yeah, this room needs me Kappa, Kappa Cannoneer. We, yep. we got a bunch of that because it was like I lost that deck and it looked great. Yeah, like, that, did you not know this deck existed before this weekend? Exactly. That, I mean, like that was a last week. Ask my guy. You yeah. were SOL yeah. this week, so that's really good to hear. Um, but like as far as comparisons say go or anything more about SCG Con, like what we could expect is there anything you want to touch on before we cut out? So I, I think one of the biggest comparisons is you know it it's. It is large-scale organized events. Mm-hmm. These feel like GPs before Mythic Fests. Okay. It, it felt like, you know, there's a couple thousand people in this room. I'm going to have the round one through three wall. Yep. I'm going to get slammed at round three for two hours. Then people are going to realize the better EV is scrubbing out and actually being able to eat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and play on the sides. Uh, actually, you and I were talking on stream yesterday, and or... And Levine was too. And we were like, you know, the, the winner at these events is actually the person that grinds the sides. They get a break. Yeah. They they get to do that. But it felt kind of like getting back to those old Grand Prix where it was, all right, we're gonna we're gonna have fun. It's it's not this constant slog through things. And maybe that's just because, you know, I haven't done it in so long, but everyone was excited to be there. Yeah. No, like, I, vendors were happy to be there. Obviously by the end of the day, you're like, man, I'm 
I'm fucking done. I'm, like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to eat and I'm going to pass out. Yeah. That's the plan. No, that, that's good to know. Like, the, there's a big difference. I think we touched on this when uh, Magic Fest became a thing. It's like they felt more like anime cons where there you could tell when everybody was coming in and when everybody was leaving. And yeah. it's because everybody was basically in the room to play the game, which is great. But that means there's this weird synchronization of, like, main event and sides. Yep. And because there's so many sides, even with the command zone, like, the room, it's just like roaches when you turn the lights on, just like, boom, boom everybody's gone. gone. And there's just yeah. so much lull for vendors of those kind of events. It just, yeah. like, felt real bad. Like, that's when you get bored. That's when you, like, the exhaustion sets in, the hunger yeah. sets in, and it just starts wearing you down. But when you're busy all day long as a you, vendor... You're too busy to realize you're hungry I, or tired yeah, I or can't, cranky. I can't tell you how many times I've got... Uh, uh, my booth lead has sent me out to get lunch. Mm-hmm. I've come back with lunch for everyone, and the lunch just stays next to my booth lead as they work all day long. Yeah. And then only as the event starts to wind down at the end of day one, this is in Grand Prix, did they realize that I never ate lunch yeah. or had to get up to go to the bathroom, and I have to yeah. do both of those right, right now. now. Yeah, because yeah. it's just so busy or so preoccupied. Yeah, that you don't you realize. Don't. Yeah, and I... I I think that that's really good to know because Magic Fests were cool and interesting to see happen. And I assume from a player perspective, that was great because it just had that festival feeling, that con feeling. But as a vendor, it kind of was a, it was a feel bad because there was so much downtime. Yeah, exactly. And, and seeing that, you know, we're, because they had a bunch of at will events, you know, players they fill. So it was that constant, yeah, on demand, just really cool, constant flow that just felt really good to get back to. And I hope that, you know, Whatever amalgus organized play they're planning outside of command fests, which are back, mm-hmm. uh, they they have something similar to the old style Grand Prix where it is like we've got a bunch of people here that are just gonna they're gonna churn. Yep. But yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on this a little more as like yeah. uh, we flush out the OP announcement that's gonna come out. We can go through that, talk about what we expect from Watsi and the alternative tournament series. But I think for this week, that's gonna be it for the main topic, and we'll be back in a little bit with our picks. Yep. See you. This is. Hey guys, we're back. So, as promised, we would be returning with picks for our live episode, and here we are. I am handling the intro and getting us started off. Absolutely. Maskwood Nexus. All right. All right. Card is basically conspiracy, but colorless, and conspiracy was an EDH staple for a long time. Mm-hmm. Creatures you control are every creature type. Same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. Three colorless tap, make a 2-2 two, two blue shapeshifter token with changeling why is this great because it literally makes all of your harbingers all of your catchers all of your specific like creature type tutors fetch any creature in your deck awesome every casual edh tribal list can benefit from a card like this it turns everything on it goes in five color it's just good it's a solid effect that for years was confined to, for whatever reason, a black card and then a blue card with arcane adaptation. This is, however, the only one that lets you generate tokens that have the creature type. And the reason that's relevant is because Lord cards care about that. Priest of Titania cares about that. Anything that cares about how much of a certain tribe you have cares about this. Stuff that compounds. Version I'm picking, Extended Art. The reason being, the delta between these two cards is basically non-existent in terms of price. Your low is like 70 cents to a dollar is the difference between the two. Yep. Uh, the one caveat to this is obviously Kaldheim was one of those sets with production issues, 
you know, not a lot of it was sent out. Questionable amount of it was opened because, uh, you know, Arena existed, whatever. So there's a few complications with the quantity out there. Now, the other interesting thing about the extended art is not just how narrow the delta is between it and the regular version. It's how narrow the delta between the extended art non-foil and foil is. So the foil low, as of recording, is about like 750-ish, somewhere around there. At 764, you have the Gaming Co. with 109 foil copies. The non-foil is sitting at around 6 bucks. So... This has appeal to your casual EDH players, your tribal players, and being an affordable way to make the card look cool because there isn't like a special showcase art or anything. That's one of the reasons that I'm also saying for the extended art. In terms of quantity, at five bucks, knowing it's an EDH card, I would, I'm literally comfortable and I've got, I think about 15 of these right now. I'm comfortable literally just sniping 10 of them off TCG player. Mm parking them in a box and sitting them. Card Kingdom is actually buying the extended arts for $4. So I might be a little bit more cautious on the foils. I might only go like five or six just because the buy list opportunity, buy list out isn't there. And I like to do picks as what's my worst case scenario outing to a buy list if I want to reposition that money into something else. Card Kingdom doesn't have a great buy list for the foils. But I'd be looking at about 10 to 15 of these in full extended art. And I'd be looking at about five to ten-ish of the foils. Now, in terms of timeline, if you take a look at the stocks graph, you can see that this card has literally just been steadily upticking for a year now. And in that year, we have doubled in price. So I'd be looking at, assuming that this trend continues, about another 12 months, and just through natural absorption of this card more tribal effects because we're getting a couple of sets in here that lend themselves to tribal anytime we're on dominaria we have to consider zombies rebels soldiers elves goblins blah the, the traditional fantasy tribes right yep. plus with all this commander product we're even more likely to now get some tribal stuff in there uh Commander Legends 2, Dockside Extortionist was pseudo-spoiled. Who knows if that means we're going to get goblins or it's literally just a value reprint, one or the other. But I think within the next 12 months, not only will you be able to profitably buy list for cash, I think you will be able to profit profitably buy list for a significant amount of cash okay. over the $5, like 2 to $3 profit fairly easily, literally just based on the price history for the last year, mm -hmm. which came out, you know, February, March last year. We're revisiting this March, April this year. I think that's a fairly steady timeline. Plus, it's the kind of card that just naturally gets more attribution because of how casual it is. And not to mention, you know, there's kitchen table players and visibles that probably also love cards like this. So you have that added to it as well. I can't tell you how many times working in an LGS, and I'm sure for you at a booth, I need cards for my zombie deck that me and my friends are playing. May never register a deck list anywhere. Literally just need zombie cards. It, it has that possibility there as well. Just wild to me. Yep. Uh, I think the, the breadth of utility of cards like this make them really good and really interesting targets. Uh, yeah. Alongside Maskwood Nexus and Call Time, there was the Foretell Patriarch Spitting. That plays really yep. well with this. And then on the other side of this printing was 
actual Patriarchs bidding in Modern Horizons 2, so we get a lot of support for this card's this card, uh, Reflection of Lit Yara, same set, for yep. uh, Xenograft, same set, for something like Rooftop Storm, which combos with all these cards. When all of your cards are zombies, you can start casting Yeldrazi's for zero. There's a lot of cool and interesting things you can do with this card and because of the effect. It's also colorless, like you touched on, so it's not nearly as limiting as its black and blue counterparts, which is basically all we've been seeing since Masks, which was like 98, right? Yeah. And between yep. Masks and Xenograph, it was like a decade before we got an additional effect. We saw a reprint of Conspiracy and Time Spiral, but that did nothing to really uh, assuade the price tack on the ability to actually make a little shapeshifter on this and it gets the ball rolling in a lot of unique and interesting ways yeah. the closest comparison card i have to something like this to, is like riptide laboratory which just yeah makes or yeah uh you choose a creature type and then you just start pumping out tokens over time and that's not nearly as good as something like masswood nexus because of the stapled on passive yeah. and i think again over time due to its colorless nature, it becomes one of the best options, and I think it's also one of the cheapest alongside Conspiracy. I think the other blue versions cost 5 and 6, or 5 and 7, respectively, for Xenograft, and uh, the other was You mentioned it. I can't remember. Uh, Arcane Adaptation. Arcane Adaptation, which is yeah. also ridiculously expensive because it's a commander print card. Yeah. Right? So I think this is definitely the kind of card that I, I agree with wholeheartedly with you want to take a look now while it's really cheap and it's on the way up slowly before we get to several sets not just dominaria that could have a creature thing we don't know what we're going to get in the uh 40k set we yep. don't know what we're going to get in the lord of the rings set but it's not like either the 40 set can be 40k set can be huge but at the end of the day there's still only several large factions and similarly with lord of the rings right so you're going to yeah. get a lot of condensed down creature types so this card only looks better over time and I, I think everything you described is the play you pick up your foil non-foil as many as you feel comfortable with this is probably something where you can go to the ceiling and then yeah. just put it in a box and then check in on it because at some point in time it's just going to see gains is what we saw with you know all of them essentially until yeah. the decks that they were in stopped being necessarily relevant but now that this yeah. goes into elves and goes into zombies and goes into whatever angels or tribes people play in white and in, in commander soldiers i assume yeah this slots right in so it has immediately more curb appeal than the other options so i really like it as a pick and you know a little how the sausage is made. We had to talk about this prior to the cast because we spent a lot of time talking about this card for it to not have been a pick. Yeah. We, I had to check everything that we had in regards to documentation to ensure that we did not already pick this card. But no, it's just the recency with which we continue to talk about this card and never make it a pick kind of yeah. threw us. So we got it a pick now, guys. Yeah. It's over. We're done. All in pick. all. Yeah. All in all, well played. Uh, yeah. This card, however, does not work well with my card because sadly enough, the primary utility that people see in my card is uh, not to make a lot of tokens, but that's why I'm picking it, to make a lot of tokens. And it yeah. is ye old Shark Typhoon. Ah, yeah. So there are, like, infinite printings of this card because it comes in full art and various promos. <clears throat> All the same art, though. Um, 
but I'm just going straight down the middle set version. It's the easiest to obtain, nothing, nothing really special to it, and it's because this one cuts both ways. It's a EDH car. It, staple's a, a big word to use here. It's not quite a staple yet in EDH, but it is up and coming, but it is a staple of every format down to vintage. Yep. Down to vintage, which is super important. And so we, what we've been seeing on this card is the eventual tail-off after uh, ZNR rotates out, sits uh, at a you know a decent low over the summer when we weren't really playing cards in person too much, and then it starts to finally uptick as we come out of essentially our lockdown in North America and can, back, can back, get back into paper play, which is, like I said, primarily where people see the card be played. And that's the important part. So... Shark Typhoon, what does this do in EDH? Well, it's a flexible card that has dual roles. It allows anyone looking to play a longer game take over with assurances that they have a flexible early game presence because of the cycling ability, which I think is just super important. It's why I like this card. People played Decree of Justice before this, right? Then that's the easiest parallel. Yeah. As far as the format is concerned, I think this is really an up-and-comer. In, in in EDH. And if we take a look at, at Rec, I'll show you why. So we see what it's paired with, and we see immediately Hinata and Tatsunari Toad Rider. So we're seeing that this is being used with recent generals, and then some mid-era designs like Baral and Narset and Lightning Master. Great homes for this card. And I call these mid-era because this is like, where we are in Commander, that's kind of the middle era for for the format, you know, yeah. between Watsi's initial support around like 2012 or what have you to now, you know, those are kind of squarely in the middle. So the fact that it is really kind of all over the place, it has presence in, in a lot of the same style decks you want to be spell slinging, but in multiple generals that span for all intents and purposes, the history of time is a really good look. I, I like yeah. that a lot. Now, the pairing of Typhoon alongside cards that can generate a lot of mana, like Mirari's Wake, Wilder's Reclamation, can generate Storm, like Thousand Year Elixir, or even offer a similar effect like Metallurgic Summonings, speaks to a card that is another cog in the machine and has already started to find its home. Right? These aren't light pairings. These are some pretty heavy percentage pairings. So again, it's flexible and plays at all stages of the game, which is something we're looking for. And to reiterate, beyond EDH, though this is a card that sees heavy constructive play as a finisher in all formats, it is currently legal in. It goes all the way down to Vintage, and that's hard to do. It might not be currently played because Vintage is still shifting, but at points in time, this was a card in Vintage because it's difficult to deal with the cycle. Yeah. Nobody really plays Stifle, nobody's really playing Trickbind or Void Slime or the new Crab. We haven't seen it yet. So yeah. it just makes a, you know, one to four four shark, like, which can close out a game. Sure. Yeah. As far as timeline goes, my expectation for being able to move Shark Typhoon for a decent profit to buy list, 1.5x. So if we buy in now off the open market, we're buying in at about $10. So we're looking at 15 to buy list is about a year. Now, that's not to say it's impossible. I picked this back in October 2021. Card Kingdom was buying 210 at 550 in March. At the end of March, they're buying 146 which is a much lesser value than 210 but they're buying it for 
And uh, those are the stats from when I picked it. Today, they're actually buying more for the same. So they obviously didn't get refill or restock, but they are looking for even more. So yeah. I like that, but I don't think we're getting there quickly. So again, about a year to get to about the $15 mark to buy a list. Despite almost doubling at the buy a list level in the last five months, I don't expect the retail price to continue to increase at a rate that carries the buy price to our desired goal in a shorter time frame. That's really what we're tied to. For a while, it was just underpriced at buy a list because it was stagnant for so long. So again, we look at stocks, if we can see a creators from 15 when, you know, modern essentially shuts off in paper that people just stop and it tanks down to where we are a little under where we are now about eight nine dollars then it holds off and at that point in time buy list just stagnates because the open market stagnates why is there a reason to move from 550 if it's not moving anywhere you know that's the driver so if we're looking to move this on the open market for the same profit margin about 1.5x i think we're looking at a slightly shorter time frame of about nine months we are double dipping on format based demand and I expect demand to be steady at the current rate. I don't think it skyrockets. And again, because we are double dipping, there is a very real opportunity that something pops up in modern that utilizes this card and sparks new demand. We've got an OP announcement coming up shortly. And if we actually start to see seasons, quote unquote, like we had in the past, you know, a new modern deck pops this. This is legal and pioneer, but I don't think the format is there quite yet to really get into this card. It is a card in pioneer, but it's not one of the best decks in pioneer. And like I said, it goes all the way down to vintage. So we're seeing it in legacy and vintage as well. But again, those lex those decks aren't really burning it up. They just yeah. kind of are. So we're not really looking at a huge bump from there. As far as reprint equity goes, I think this is rather low until we get another set with a dedicated cycling theme, which is not new Capenna. They said that flat out. There are five cards with cycling, and they're going to be the five triumphs, and they are making cycling. No, it's called deciduous now, not evergreen. Cool. But that means cycling will appear at a point in time in the future with a better description of how they view the game and cycling, which was a weird announcement to hear because maybe everything cycles like Ben Stark wants that too. Yeah. Again, but that's neither here nor there, right? We got to look for a dedicated cycling theme. They're just not going to toss Shark Typhoon into a set that isn't really dedicated to it. Yeah, just to have Shark Typhoon in it. Yep, set. and that, I think that extends all the way to supplementals as well. You know, I, I paralleled Decree of Justice earlier on. The last time we saw a reprint of that was in the Gavi Nest Warden EDH deck, which was the cycling deck, and that's how I imagine we see a reprint of this card in the future. Gotta be cycling, gotta be cycling. Yeah. As far as quantity is concerned, you know, based on its ability to finish games in EDH and constructed alike, I like the idea of buying several playsets as you aren't looking to move only one copy per person. Personally, I have my playset, like my play playset, and being unable to pick up any more locally, I've had to pop some off TCG player, and I think I'm looking at about two playsets total. And those are really for the inevitable return to paper play. If you know you're going to be seeing paper play, you have been seeing paper play, you have modern, you have pioneer locally, I think this is a great card to have stocked. To go very deep on this, I think would be the wrong move. And I think somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four playsets is really the ceiling I'd want if I was going to be moving this in person to players. I don't think I'd be moving that many more to a local player base, especially without something really like popping up in modern. 
You see this as a one of right now. It needs to be a four of in your local modern meta to really push it. It's Pioneer that's seeing this as a four of. And I think somewhere in Legacy, it's a two of. So you got to really have that player demand or something new to pop up. Beyond that, if you want to move this to Biolist, I think this just kind of floats along. And you could probably go a little bit bigger than that, maybe five to six play, play sets and be uh, happy about that. You know, I don't think this is as good as Mask with Nexus is to stack to the ceiling, but I don't think there's a huge downside to it either. If you want to go back and you want to parallel to Decree of Justice and say, well, that card just tanked into Oblivion and is worth cents on the dollar right now, the, answer, the reason for that is it's just not nearly as good. No, it's not. The, Decree of Justice had a price for a while due to scarcity. You know, it was a pre-return <clears throat> to rap card. And the best thing it did was cycle for X11 soldier tokens. Up front, it cost XX2 colorless and double white to start making X44 angels. Shark Typhoon just immediately starts making sharks with the next spell. It just takes over the game a lot faster and a lot harder than Decree ever did. And I don't think we're going to really see that kind of utility shrink away like we did with Decree. Decree could be a finisher, absolutely, alongside Morari's Wake. But making a bunch yeah. of sharks because of Morari's Wake, Morari Wake's mana ability, is probably a little bit better than a bunch of piddly tutus. I mean, that's a pyroclasm. That's not difficult. Yeah. But when you have power toughest sharks from like one to six. That's a lot more difficult to deal with. And so I think this card stands the test of time better through any future reprints compared to Decree of Justice. It aims, it ends games better than Decree of Justice or Metallurgic Summonings. This is a card that just sees more play overall the longer the format goes and the more people want to play, you know, spell decks, spell, spell slingy style decks. Yeah. But... I like this one a lot. I like, especially, you know, again, the closest parallel we have is Decree of Justice. Uh, Decree of Justice, as you and I both know, was a rock star in the Astral Slide lists. But Shark Typhoon gives you so much more closing power. And I actually... So the OP announcement, the article goes live Friday or Thursday. So the day after we're recording these picks mm -hmm. is when that article goes live. I expect that if we start to get more paper pioneer events, that's when you may actually see this card take off mm -hmm. because once pros start iterating on the format because it matters to them, you could see that happen. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, one of the reasons that I am super comfortable going in on this because obviously it has utility in the formats we already know exist and have support. If Wizards ever decides they want to support Pioneer, and that format starts seeing iteration, all of a sudden I think this is a way better look because Giamwafo Tapa presumably is still alive and yeah. will probably put together some ridiculous blue-white list and spike an event with a card like that this. That Raph Levy and Gabriel Lasif will then play. Yeah, exactly. And great, that's all that needs to happen for this card to take yeah. off is one of those guys to just be like, yeah, I believe in this list. Let's run it. And just go for it. So yeah, I, I think it's great. Uh, I think timeline, like you said, reprint equity, probably not likely. Timeline sounds good. I, I think it's a solid pick for sure. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, when I was thinking about this, I, uh, the timeline was the hardest part to really figure out. And the more I looked at the graph and just thought about it, I was like, logically, it just makes sense. It's like, cool, there's a slight return to paper. Oh, uh, no, there's not. Fooled you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it just becomes a sleeper EDH pick. Yeah. People are picking it up for an eventual return to modern, or maybe they have some local modern or pioneer event, so it just floats, right? But until we get that OP announcement, that's when we'll see the real push. And then from there, I don't think we ever see it come back and the more people realize this is a card because it has just fallen out of favor without constructed on camera. There's no visibility yeah. into this. And unless you're building one of these dedicated generals, despite the fact that we are seeing some new stuff, nobody's yeah. really jamming it into lists. So pretty, pretty good. Thank you. So that will be it for this week. We will be back next week to discuss I don't know, maybe some business tax stuff. I know we got some questions about that. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to wait a little bit before we got an interview with somebody in to discuss, have them discuss the difference for them between TCG Con and the SCG Cons. Yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of flip a coin and figure what we want to go on there. But until next week, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find the videos of these podcasts on youtube the audio podcasts are available wherever you can find a podcast i am <clears throat> at halt i am reptar on twitter you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you next week <laughs>